0: Father, the word forever is something we really don't even understand. But God, as we try to comprehend it today, would you remind us that as long as time will ever exist, it's your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy will outlast it. And we thank you for the goodness that we experience through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? We have some work to do. Uh, grab your Bibles. Go ahead to Philippians chapter 1. Um, Jerry Miller told me before service today, he said, uh, you know, when when it comes to school, if you get snow, that means you miss a day of school. But when it comes to church, if we get snow, you have to go to church twice? That's exactly right. That's how it works. So you should be careful about how you pray for snow from now on, shouldn't you? Just kidding. We had a great time here Friday night. For those of you that couldn't be with us, we're sorry you couldn't be here. We really did have a fantastic time. The service this morning is different. Uh, we're not uh, going back to back to back. However, I'll, I'll warn you right now, um, I have, was planning on preaching this message last week, and so I had a version of that ready, and then this can, the service got canceled. So I used some of my material for last week in the online Bible study we did, And then we did Friday night, and I used a little piece of the message for today on Friday night. And now, so this is like the fourth version of this message. It is a rabbit trail waiting to happen. So who knows where we'll end up, but we're going to end up there pretty quick. So Philippians chapter 1, I'll go ahead and read our text for the morning, which is going to be the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1, and then uh, we'll kind of jump in together. This is what it says. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, So that you may be able to approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Make no secret about it, the book of Philippians is about joy. 104 verses in the book of Philippians and joy or rejoicing is mentioned 14 times Paul is zooming in and, and, and narrowing his, his focus on the topic of joy as it relates to the Philippians. Now, now in order to understand what joy is, you, you, you kind of have to get a, a biblical picture of joy. So there's two particular passages I'll throw up here in front of you out of Luke chapter 15. The first one has to do with the shepherd who loses his sheep. He's got a hundred, but one of them's missing. And that, that one means something to him, and that one is so very valuable to him that he was willing to leave the 99 behind and pursue the one. And when he finds the one, he puts it over his shoulders, and he says, "This." Oops, he doesn't say that. (laughs) This is what technology gets you. Hang on. I guess I'm supposed to sing. You are good right now. Not sure there. There is it there now? Praise the Lord. (laughs) It's not here on mine anymore. So, uh, Mike, I'm gonna. I'm gonna see if it pops up a little bit later. So, Luke 15, chapter uh, verse five. Verse 6 says this, when he has found it, he joyfully takes that sheep and he puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says to them, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. There's a, a picture of joy is that he, is, he has found his sheep. The next one is Luke chapter 15, verse 32, to the end of the story where the man has lost his son. It's not like he misplaced him. Anybody ever do that with your kid? All right. I'm praising God, we're about three years in here, we've, we, we drive two separate cars every Sunday, and we've yet to go home and be like, oh, we forgot one, it hasn't happened yet, that's probably the kiss of death, but we're going to keep praying that it doesn't happen, but, but for this man, it was different, this man, the son came to him and said, daddy, I'm out of here, I, I want my inheritance, I want it now, I'm going to live the way I want to live, and you can't do anything about it, and so I'm going to go, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do, and you can't stop me, so give me my money. And let me go. And his dad is kind to him and hands him his money. And the son goes off and the old King James says he wastes his finances, his money, his inheritance on riotous living. And at some point he runs out of funding. He runs out of money and he's stuck and he can't do anything about it. And he decides, man, it would be better for me to go home and be a slave for my dad than to live the way that I'm living. And so he models true repentance as he returns to his dad and says, Dad, whatever you want me to do, I will do. I will become the lowest of low in your family. And that's a picture of repentance. True repentance is being willing to do whatever it is that God has called you to do, regardless of the cost to yourself. So the young man returns and says, I'm back. And dad, who's who's been waiting for him, sees him coming from afar off. And it says, daddy runs to him and throws his arms around his neck and begins to weep with joy. And and that rejoicing, that joy is exactly that. We're celebrating. We, We killed the fatted calf and we threw a party. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. See, that is the picture of joy. In scripture. And and Paul says when he's talking to the Philippians, let's couch joy in such a way that we we, we understand it's not happiness. It's much bigger than happiness. It's not just looking at your circumstances and saying, ooh, everything's wonderful. Let me let me kind of put some words at you. And it's not going to make sense at first. I'll try to explain it. It's this didn't, couldn't, do will. Didn't couldn't do. And will. That's how I'm going to define joy. And let me explain it to you. It's something you didn't have, and it's something you couldn't get for yourself. But in Christ Jesus, you now do have it, and it will be so much better. You didn't, you couldn't, but you do, and it will. And so as we read through the book of Philippians, I'm going to continue to bring that up for you. I'm going to continue to remind you of those things. And that's what Paul is experiencing here. He's, he's understanding that it's something he didn't have and it's something he couldn't get himself. But because of Christ, it's something he has and it's going to be so much sweeter. And the first thing that he is, he is so overwhelmed in joy with is his relationship with these dear people. I mean, you hear it when, he, when we read that, didn't you? I mean, honestly... Um, If he was to say this, God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's not pulling any punches. He loves these people. He he misses these people. He says, I give thanks to my God, verse three, every time I remember you, I always pray with joy when I pray, when when you come to mind, when you come up on my prayer list that day, I am filled full with this wonderful joy. It's like Paul is flipping through the yearbook of life, and every time he sees that picture, he says, oh, that was good. It brings those good memories. Don't yearbooks and old pictures bring good memories? <laughs> Careful how you answer that. Thanks to the beautiful gift called the internet, some of you should be very worried right now. My button's working again, just in time. See how good God is. The beauty of the internet reminds us of what we used to look like, but we don't, might not look like that anymore, like this Family. Or maybe this family. Or perhaps these fine folks. Oh, wait. That one's a good one. My personal favorite, and unfortunately he's not here, he's down in Honduras, is this young man. <laughs> now, to be fair, looking at those pictures gives me great joy, but probably for a different reason, Right? I do want to make sure that I'm fair about this, though, because if I was to do all those pictures, then really what would happen is some people in this room might be very bitter and decide, well, I'm going to go online and I'm going to find pictures of Frank, but I will fall on my own sword for you. Oh, baby. You like the purple pants and the sweater, huh? I had it going on hair, but you don't see the hair really well in that picture. And so I asked Stephanie and she's allowing me to show you this. This is uh, one year into our marriage. So this would have been 1996. Here we are. There's the hair. Now, do you notice something? A, Stephanie looks the exact same. B, she's married to a completely different looking dude now. <laughs> so as we look at those pictures, seriously, some people are like, that's not you. Yeah, unfortunately it is. I am not sure what happened. My hair started acting like it was on fire and left off the top of my head. It landed on my face. I, I don't know what happened, but Stephanie looks the exact same. See, that, that's, that's good memories, right? But it's cool. You look back at those pictures, and it brings this, this joyful memory, this joyful remembrance, and this wonderful feeling of, of, man, I remember that. And that's what Paul does. Every time these people come to mind, he is filled full with joy. Every time he thinks of Lydia, the seller of purple, the woman who who was from, from Thyatira but living in Philippi, stories found in Acts chapter 16. She was the fashionista of the day. She lived there. She began her business. She was a CEO, and she had turned her back on the teaching of the day, the emperor worship of the day, the polytheism of the day, and instead was seeking God and she was sitting under the constant reading of the law of God. And when Paul showed up and sat down at the side of the river with her and began to explain the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, she listened, she repented of her sin, and she took Jesus as her own. Every time Lydia comes to mind, I am filled with joy. Maybe it's the, the little teenage demon-possessed girl who followed Paul and Silas and Luke throughout the city and mocked them for everybody to hear, who, who's, who is nagging them over and over again behind their back as they walked. And finally, it says, Paul gets greatly annoyed and he turns around and he doesn't reason with her. He just casts the demon out of her. And the very salvation she mocked is the salvation that delivers her. Every time... I pray for that little girl. I'm filled with joy. Maybe it's the Philippian jailer. You know, after the demon was cast out of the young lady, her, her handlers, who were making money off of her, her, her demon activity, were really angry. And so they brought charges against Paul and Silas, and the people beat them and then threw them into jail, into the, the innermost parts of the dungeon And the jailer was there. He was not a happy-go-lucky guy. He wasn't just wearing a nice uniform. He was one of the hardcore fellas, rough and tough. And when the earthquake came, he was brought to his knees. And when he found Paul and Silas still there, he was brought to his Savior. Every time I think of you, I'm filled with joy. Every time I pray for you, I'm filled with joy. Why? because those people helped Paul remember what he didn't have what he couldn't get but because of Jesus what he did have now now much better it's going to be he celebrated in verse 5 their partnership with the gospel in the gospel that partnership in verse five is is koinonia. the whole idea is it's fellowship it's a it's it's, it's and, and unfortunately in christianese that's a language in case you're wondering you can study Christianese. In Christianese, fellowship usually has something to do with coffee, food, and board games, okay? But that's not fellowship. Fellowship has to do with deep, shared experience. Fellowship is walking through difficulty with a friend or a loved one. Fellowship is when you experience trials and heartache, And you come out on the other side after seeing God's hand of provision and protection. And now you've got a relationship. Paul says, these people partnered with me in the gospel in that way. These people, in verse 7, reached out to Paul while he was in prison. These people, verse 7, they were willing to stand up and defend the gospel. And every time I think of these people, it fills me full with joy. So when he prays for them, when he remembers them, there is joy. But but in this passage, I think something that we see even greater than that. Paul's greatest joy was wrapped up in the confidence he had in what Jesus had done, was doing, and was promising to do for them. You think about what, what did Jesus do for them? Jesus did this for them. He lived a perfect life that they couldn't have lived. He died the death that they should have died, and in so doing, in living the perfect life and dying for them, he canceled the record of debt that stood against them by nailing it to his cross. So so he's filled full with joy as he thinks, Philippians, this is what Jesus Christ did for you. He canceled the record of your sin, past, present, and future, and so he's filled full with that joy. That's what he's done. What's he doing? And this is a beautiful verse in Philippians. It's one that, that many of us are, are overly familiar with, I think, in verse 6. I am convinced that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion, the day of Jesus Christ. What's he doing? He's making you complete. See, so you're being transformed. And just so you know, that's an act of God transforming you. Second, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 says it like this. It, it says it, it's, it's like we, we go to the mirror and we gaze into the mirror when we gaze at God. It's like gazing in the mirror. And as we're gazing at God, slowly, moment by moment, over a period of time, from glory to glory, we're being transformed into the very image that we are gazing at. Being transformed into the, the very image of God. And just a little at a time, from glory to glory, He's completing us. That's a, that's a work of God, but we have a role to play in it. And your role to play in the transformation that God is bringing you to is by, is to gaze at him. And we do that by the careful and regular study of his word. May, may, may I ask you a question? Do you study God's word? Do you go home after Sunday And open up your Bible and check the things that I say. You need to. You need to. (laughs) Here's a secret. I do. I'm like, oh, did I say that? No, you need to. You you need to get your your face in the Word. Do you check what you're reading with the the Word of God? Do Do you check what people are saying to you with the Word of God? Do you take time to let the Word of God dwell in you? Do you memorize it? Do you memorize it? Do you you spend time with it filtering through you? If not, then it's no wonder you're not seeing yourself in the process of being made complete. Um, We want to turn the world upside down. It's impossible to do that if you're not regularly studying God's Word. We expect to turn the world upside down and have no effort on our own part. We expect to show up in the fireworks just to go off because we're there. As you gaze at his word, he's going to continue that transformation in you. Now, it doesn't mean that as you're, as you're doing that, that you don't sin, that you don't stumble, that you don't struggle, but it does mean that you repent and you go running back to Jesus and you keep on running back to Jesus. And so, so be clear, some of us are sitting here today and we've got sin in our lives, Some of you sitting here, you've walked away from God and and you're wondering, man, maybe, uh, okay, but maybe God's given up on me. God will not give up on you. Your relationship with Him is marked by grace. That means you didn't deserve it when it began. So you certainly can't do anything now to make yourself deserve it less. He's not given up on you. Has God given up on you? No. Here's the answer He who began this work in you will bring it to completion. That's a promise. God loves you, and he's not done with you. So repent and run back to Jesus. He's that good. So, so, so what is it that he did? Man, he saved your soul. What is it that he's doing? He is completing this work in you. He's, he's transformed you, and what will he do? Oh, verse. That was a weird laugh. I apologize. A little creepy, wasn't it? Somehow I'm going to isolate that on the podcast and see if I can't use that as a ringtone. <laughs> um, yeah. So what is he going to do? Verse, verse, verse uh, 9. As you're digging, as you're repenting, as you're returning to him, your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Your love will keep growing in intellect and practicalities. And then one day, verse 10... You will prove the things are superior and may be pure, and you will stand in the day of Christ, what? Pure and blameless. So how can I, as a guilty sinner who's unrighteous, stand before a holy and righteous God and not be condemned to hell? How can that happen? God's perfect. I'm not perfect. God's good. I'm bad. God's sinless, I'm a sinner. God's righteous, I'm unrighteous. God's awesome, I am not. So how can I possibly stand before God and expect anything but condemnation Expect anything but wrath. Expect anything but hell. Let me tell you, it's not because of your tireless effort or your highly moral way of life. It's because of the righteousness of Christ being credited to your account. Righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. That's what it says right here. Righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. God himself who came into history and lived a life I cannot live and died the death I should have died and then rose again to bring the grace of salvation into my life that I could never afford, Jesus takes my sin and gives me his righteousness. There's there's a theological term for that. We'll nerd out for all of three seconds. It's called imputation. The idea is it's credited to your account. It's reckoned to your account. Um, Martin Luther, the great um, Reformation theologian, said this is called the Great Exchange. Second Corinthians five, that many of us, most of us, are familiar with. It. It, it explains it this way: He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The picture is this: When 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 Jesus Christ was on my cross. My sin was placed on his shoulders, and his righteousness was placed on mine, and I did nothing to deserve it. The act was completely his. That's the great exchange. So so how can I, as a guilty, unrighteous sinner, stand before a perfect and holy and just and righteous God and be declared righteous? Through Jesus Christ. Let me... If you fail to understand that and you fail to comprehend that, then you are going to be trapped in something called religion. If you fail to understand that and fail to comprehend that, you're going to think that if you try harder and do better, then God will love you. You're going to think that your good if your good deeds can somehow outweigh your bad deeds, if you can pay back for all those, uh, God, for all those times that you've messed up, then maybe, just maybe, God will love you. Man, get rid of the maybe. God loves you. You want a picture of it? Look at the cross. It's, it's not about all those things you do. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. You give him your sin, he gives us his righteousness. So then you're, you're declared righteous in the sight of God purely by grace through the work of Jesus Christ. And, and I love what Paul says. is When, when that happens... It results in, look at the end of verse 11, the glory and the praise of God. As a result, there is wonderful worship. And you get excited, you get passionate, you get to live a new life, you get to be a new person, you get new power, you get new joy, and it's all about grace, and it's all about Jesus, and that's Paul's greatest joy. Paul's greatest joy is based on the unstoppable work of God's grace, It's based on didn't, couldn't, do, and will. It's based on I didn't have it. I couldn't get it myself, but because of Jesus Christ, I do, and it will be so much better. That should be your greatest joy too. Is it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we, we come to you and fully admitting we are simply broken. And, and, and God, we have gotten in our own way more times than not. And, and Lord, you, you are trying to deliver us even from ourselves. Our sinfulness just rages up within us. Our, our nature is seen day by day. And Father, we want that nature to, to be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, give us the passion and desire we need to gaze at you. And moment by moment, from from glory to glory, to be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the one who's here today who thought religion was the answer, God, I pray you would soften their hearts and cause them to realize it's not religion, it's Jesus. And God, would they yield their hearts and their lives to you by, by, by agreeing with what you say about them, that they are a sinner and they can't do anything to save themselves. But God loved us so much, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us while we were still sinners. He took our sin to that cross and he was buried in that tomb. But on that third day, he was raised to life, confirming for us forever that our sin has been canceled. God, with the one here today who has never confessed that, they need that Savior. Do just that. And may your great name be praised. It's in Jesus' great name I pray. Amen.